turn with me to the book of Titus. You got trouble finding Titus, it's easier to start at the end and work your way backwards. If you find a New Testament book starting with the letter T, it's the last one in that section. While we're looking, Nani's class. Nani's class. Just got to say, if I'm grinning more like a fool than normal, like it was just such a cool moment. I love hearing y'all sing on Sunday mornings. I, I've got a pretty good spot to hear y'all sing. You know, Big John always says, y'all are the choir. We're not the choir. But today, getting to sit in between y'all singing and them singing. Mm. Let's read this together. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We've already read it. We're going to read it again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful picture of your love, of your grace, of your mercy, that even though we're sinful, even though our hearts have accomplished so much wickedness, you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the beautiful picture you give us here in the book of Titus, God, I ask that you illuminate that truth by the power of your Holy Spirit on the hearts of the people who are listening. In your name I pray, amen. So um, if you can't tell, um, some of y'all have a, a worse, well, maybe better view if you can see less of me than others. Um, I've got some sun. I, I spent 87 hours yesterday at the ball field. Um, if you can uh, see my feet, I'm, I'm glad to be home at Christ Community where I pull my shoes off. I got me a good old Chaco sunburn. Um, I am brilliant red. Um, several people lost their sight just by looking at the white where the Chaco lines were. But I had an interesting situation yesterday, and I'm not going um, to say the name of the lady who did this, but w had an interesting conversation. As uh, if you know me, uh, I attract interesting conversations. I am an interesting conversation magnet, um, so much so that when my friends are with me and people walk up, they leave me. And by friends, I mean Candace. Um, 
<laughs> no, all joking aside, um, sitting there had found us a spot because we had gotten a good parking place. And if you understand the value of a good parking place, you don't leave it. You persevere. You stay. And so in between games, we found a spot under a glorious oak tree that the Lord planted there uh, long before I was born. And we, we commandeered a certain patch of land there. We set our chairs up and always left at least one child there to guard um, our spot. We had staked our claim. It was, was ours while not being ours. And somebody walked up and they said, do you mind if we sit here? I was like, hey, this is God's oak tree. He planted this here for our shade. Y'all come on. Uh, knew him. We were having conversation. All of a sudden, the, the, the wife sets her chair down beside her husband. He, he, he plants himself there. And she stands up. She goes, I'm going to tell you one thing. And I thought, well, now it's a party. Now it's a party. This is one of those times Candace is firmly planted. She can't go anywhere. It's for everyone. And she says, I want to identify as a man. Yeah, I know it. I was like, what in the world? Um, grandmother aged person. I'm sitting there. I'm like, and to which I said, uh, I, I think is my exact response there, which I thought was appropriate. And she says, no, I'm going to tell you why. And I think my exact response was, I. She said, I got up this morning and I fixed the coffee. And then I cooked the breakfast. Then I laid his clothes out. And she says, then I got up and I baked these cookies. Would you like to have one? I took one. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I'm an eater. What are you all laughing about? warm from the oven cookie and then she says and all he had to do today was shut his recliner and tell me it was time to go and um doesn't happen to me often but i, I was fairly speechless i'm trying to look over at candace and she's looking at me like mm-hmm mm-hmm but no i say all that jokingly to, to number one get your attention number two help you to loosen up a little bit because when we think about situations like that they could happen to any one of us you get in that conversation where somebody uh, all of a sudden you're in, a, in, in deep conversation you're learning about someone but when we talk about identity uh, for whatever reason the the last several times that I've gotten to preach anywhere I found that the Holy Spirit has planted me in a passage of Scripture dealing with one's identity in Christ and when we think about that First off, I want to ask you, what does it mean to have your identity in Christ? It's not something that, and I know we live in America where it's kind of popular right now to, if you don't like the situation you were in, you just get to declare you're in a different one. Almost like um, if you watch a certain show that I'm not going to advocate for here, but uh, they told this guy he's going to have to declare bankruptcy because he was his finances were in such trouble and he says oh, whew, I was worried this was gonna be bad he walks out of the room and he goes I declare bankruptcy I feel better already well that guy was a fool right his finances didn't get in any better situation the lady I was talking to yesterday she was largely joking but she was trying to make a point to him 
I could tell by the way she was pointing at him. I just want you to know he was okay through all this. He did not, he wasn't worried about it. Uh, he never even glanced over um, at us. You can't just declare, man, okay, yeah, I, I'm a Christian. It's not something you identify as. When you say that you are a Christian, it's only true if you have been saved. And let's talk about some of the Bible words there. Saved, born again, that you have new life in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But some people in this area of the country would say that most people they know are Christians because this is or has been the Bible Belt. Um, Many of those people would start their description by saying about one time when they walked an aisle back at the Vacation Bible School in 1982, that they went down with a whole herd of children and they, they prayed what the preacher said word for word. They read from the script. And, and even though they've, they've really had nothing to do with the body of Christ since, that moment sealed the deal as if it were some binding contract of Vacation Bible School aisle walkage. People began saying things like, well, once saved, always saved. And then you have others saying, well, you know, I, I this, or I, I was a Christian and I'm not, and I, I was a this and now I'm a that, and moving this way or the other. Um, some people might reference a decision or membership in a church as if it were uh, an organization or the family they were born into. John references this often. I never noticed how many people who are no longer in church had a Baptist uncle. But it Shoot, as soon as John said it, it's kind of like, you're, you're familiar with the blue car syndrome? That all of a sudden, if you notice, dang, I've seen a lot of blue cars today, that you just start seeing blue cars everywhere. Like there's Baptist uncles and family trees that are just disassociating family members. Y'all, the Bible has so, so much more for us. And it's, it's not an organization. It's not a a, a form you fill out. It, it, we, we could walk this aisle until we've gone through down to the dirt underneath it. And other than getting your steps or hitting your fitness goal or tearing up our floor, nothing magic is going to happen. It's that confession, Jesus is Lord that matches the belief in one's heart, not just that he died for you, but specifically that he rose again. It is what God does in the heart of the person that they can be called a Christian. It's not something you can just declare. And so when we look at this, I want you to understand that the Bible clearly lays this out. And, and in places in the Bible where it talks about what it means to be saved, it shows that we go from being lost and on our own to being found, in danger of eternal condemnation to being saved, dead in our trespasses and sins to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when the Bible talks about salvation, it makes much more of Jesus than it does the sinner. When you talk about Jesus saving people in the Bible, I mean, whether it's physically saving them like he did Israel so many times in the Old Testament, God is made much of. Not the people who were in danger in the first place, right? It'd be like watching a superhero movie and picking the random people who were caught under the rubble going, hey, I'm glad we watched your movie. No, you were just a footnote. God is ultimate. God is powerful. 
God is our Savior, or he isn't. And so we talk about this. Salvation comes to those who are sinners, those who need to be saved. It doesn't come for the best of the best or the most worthy. In fact, it comes for the opposite. As I say, uh, when, when you're watching a movie and you have the hero and you're caught under the rubble, you, you want some kind of x-ray vision or something to put you on their radar. It, by definition, if you need saving, you, you, you can't save yourself. So it's folks like me, folks like you, we were born into sin, and shortly after trying our free will out for the first time, we were full-blown sinners. I like to think about the, the people that um, Titus was going to be the pastor of. If you're not familiar with the book of Titus, it's not one that is unfortunate that we don't hit it very often. It is so full of beautiful things. It's one of the pastoral epistles where Paul the Apostle is writing to these young pastors. He wrote 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy 2. Y'all are so smart. By that I mean the two people who are participating. And so he wrote Titus to three people now. We are knocking it out of the park. Titus was a young pastor who had spent some time with Paul. He um, specifically spent some time with Paul in um, some of his visits to Corinth. And now Paul, God, through Paul, was putting Titus in charge as a church planner on the island of Crete. And let me tell you, Crete sounds like a lovely place. Paul there in chapter 1, he, he says what one of the poets from Crete says about it. He said, and, and this is the brochure for the island of Crete per their poet. Cretans are nothing but lazy gluttons and evil beasts. That, that, that's bad, by the way, right? Because uh, typically that's not the, the first thing that they put out. Um, I've had the um, privilege, I, I will say, of meeting with pastor search committees for various times over the years. Uh, typically they don't lead out with that, right? Um, I, I've been kind of caught off guard by the pastor search committee. Candace and I um, accidentally went into a pastor search committee meeting one time. Um, we pre I preached somewhere that morning, and they said, hey, do you want to come back tonight? And I'm like, man, you, usually when I get preached, I don't get asked back. So, sh sure. Show back up that night, everybody and their mama's there. Like, it's Easter Park, and folks are all the way out to the highway. And I'm uh, asking Candace, for, like, they having some kind of concert or something? Like, I barely found a parking place. Get in there, there's folks everywhere, and people are like, hello, are you? And I'm like, I, I, okay. Afterwards, they say, have you toured our church? I've been to the bathroom this morning. Well, let's go back to the bathrooms. And I'm like, I don't know where this is. a weird situation. It's after I've already preached the second time, and they're still wanting to talk to me. I'm like, something's obviously wrong with these people. They want to go for a third round. Get back there, and there's a whole hallway. And they say, look, these are the portraits of all of our former pastors. And they get to a blank space at the end, and they said, this <laughs> could be you. And, like, I'm looking at Candace, and she's looking at me like, no, we're being punked. And sure enough, they bring me on in. Whole pastor search committee is in, and they're like, here's what we want to offer you. 
And Candace is looking at me like, it's all you, buddy? <laughs> That's the brochure for the, the island of Crete. It's like, here's what we have for you, Titus. You can go into the island of Crete and you can be a church planner. And here's what we have for you, lazy gluttons and evil beasts. What's behind door number two, Paul? <laughs> no, that's not what Titus says. When you look at that short book of the Bible, he goes to tell Titus who he's supposed to be first. So there's a pastor here, and these are the qualifications. This is the life God has called you to. And he gets into chapter two, and he lays out, here's what the life of the church is going to look like. And, and you might think, wow, how is Titus going to turn like a group of people that are from this place into that, here's your clue. He's not. It's the work that Jesus does through his word by the power of his spirit is going to change those lives. And, and Paul is telling Titus, when God gets to working among the people that you're going to get to pastor, you need to be ready because this is what I'm looking for. This is the way I want my church to go. I'm going to do the work. You shepherd them accordingly. And then that ends with the first passage we read this morning where we talk about waiting for our blessed hope when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. In the passage we've now read twice, we look at that. So this morning, here's what I want you to see. I want you to, 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 to see in Paul's letter to Titus what the Bible tells pastors that they're supposed to be reminding people to be. So if you are here, um, much to your chagrin, if you didn't know that already, I am one of the pastors here at Christ Community and so I'm not just telling you what um, Paul told Titus to remind his folks. I'm reminding y'all. So surprise. I want us to take a good look into ourselves because we either need to be reminded if we are saved, what we came out of, or if we are still in that life and haven't come out of it, that we need to be saved. And then finally, we're going to look at the rescue that God has provided by grace through faith in the mercy of Christ and the power of his spirit. So let's look at that reminder there. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to go through these fairly quickly. I want you to think about how bad you don't want to do these things. Does that make sense? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. How are you all doing on that, by the way? Yeah. Y'all like being told what to do? Yeah, I, I'm, if you're listening to them like you're listening to me, you're probably okay. <laughs> no, you don't like to be told what to do. I remember um, when, when Xander was little. See, Carrie, she, she listened um, when she was little. When Xander was little, he was um, a littler version of Xander. Um, and I, I was at my parents' house, and I had told him, like, the 52nd time to do something, like, simple and Xander finally just turned around and gave me a look that comes from one of his parents that said, um, dude, I'm sick of you asking me to do this uh, or telling me to do this. But he was going to do it, but he's shooting me that look. And, and my dad, who was in his early 50s at the time, he says, look, I understand what he's going through. I'm looking at him like he's, what he's going through? He's acting like you're somebody's grandmama or something. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, I understand. He said, I'm 50-whatever years old, and I still don't like to do what I'm told any better than he does. And I'm like, well, that's good news. <laughs> Next 47 years, 
keep going through this. No, we don't like to have to be submissive to rulers and authorities, even though the Bible clearly says in places like Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 that God has allowed the powers that be to be in charge because for the most part that they serve good purpose. And that's why Paul's having Titus remind them and having me remind y'all. It builds on that to be obedient, not just be told what to do, but to also do it. Then be ready for every good work. Man, most of the time, we're, like if somebody comes up and says, hey, um, so-and-so needs a ditch dug in their yard. You ready to go tomorrow morning? And people are like, oh, it doesn't matter what word's going there. That's what they're saying. But then if somebody's like, hey, um, I got... 67 extra tickets to the, what's that fellow's name that's clogged up the traffic in Oxford? Now you're, now, okay, there we go. Morgan Wallen. And then all of a sudden people are like, man, I could take off work. My back's been hurting, but man, um, I, I'll get somebody to pop it for me. We, we, I, yes, absolutely. We're ready for what we want to do always. But that what we should ought to do, it kind of, Puts a little hitch in our giddy up to speak evil of no one. And I, I know what you're thinking. Same thing I do. Well, sometimes people need evil spoken of them. Said God when? Ever? Even one time? Avoid quarreling. I'm not really arguing. We're just having a, a heated debate. To be gentle. Sometimes people need a firm hand. They need some harshness. Really? And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. When you look at that, that's almost an impossible list, isn't it? I don't know about y'all, but um, it's one, two, three, it's like seven things on that list, and maybe if I lie about it, maybe three I want to do not a list where people are like, hey, put me on that, pro this right here, this is the lifestyle I want to live. No, we want to get to do the opposite. And, and that's why Paul moves uh, from a reminder of what people are supposed to be to a reminder of what they're supposed to have been in the past. When you look there in verse two, where, uh, verse three, where he says, for we ourselves were once, it reminds me of what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And sometimes we look at, at the list like you have there in verse 1 and 2, and we get a glimpse of what some people would say it is to act like a Christian. But, but I think we really need to hit a hard pause here because John, and he brings this up often because we have found in Christ's community specifically that before we started emphasizing this, we, we were having some experiencing of people doing this the wrong way. There is no way to act like a Christian. Let me say it again. There is no way to act like a Christian. Y'all say it with me. There is no way to act like a Christian. 
we, Big John has this saying that we can teach people how to act or we can teach them about Jesus. We just don't have the time to do both. And if we teach people about Jesus and they confess him as their Lord and Savior and believe on him in their hearts and he saves them, his spirit will change their lives. There's no church behavior modification system that's going to just fix society. It is either God through his word and the power of his spirit or it's play acting. And I can speak from one who play acted for many years. You're not that good at it. You might can convince the wiliest of humans, but God has never been fooled into thinking somebody's saved when he ain't saved them. Any change in behavior that occurs is because of the Holy Spirit. When you see passages like Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, uh, Ezekiel 36 that talk about the being dead in trespasses and sins, the only way to move from being dead is to be made alive. Uh, you know what dead people act like? Well, n nothing, they're dead. See, ha, 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 got you. Uh, some of y'all start paying attention and now zing right there at the start. No, dead people can't act like anything. They can't do anything. You can't be fooled because dead people are. And unless acted upon by an outside force, and there's only one outside force, by the way, that can act on a dead person and change their state of being, and that's the one who broke death himself, the only one to raise himself from the dead. All other resurrection comes from that resurrection. And so when we look at this, we get into this next list, we're reminded of what we once were, but, but you need to understand this, because a lot of times as we talk about what it is to be saved, some of us kind of get in that mindset, but well, I, I don't have to listen to this. I, I sure hope somebody here who needs to hear this is listening. E even some cases where we find ourselves looking around the room going, hmm, I hope he's listening to this right here. <coughs> like trying to get people's attention that you think need to be listening. Here's what you need to understand. There is no other way to be saved other than by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter what decision you made or what your Baptist uncle told you. Unless you exercise faith in Christ, you aren't saved. And so this is the point where some people might say, well, I mean, I, I've been acting this out for 30 years. Wouldn't it be embarrassing to... To, to get saved today y'all you're at Christ community this is a place where we rejoice when sinners come to know Christ where we are glad Jesus casts our sin as far as the east is from the west because we all well hopefully all remember our past and are thankful for what Jesus has done to give us a present in the future amen so if we look through these and you find out that your past has not passed, maybe God's talking to you saying, you know what, it's time to get a future. Looking here at verse 5, but, or verse 3, but you were once foolish. It reminds me, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1.20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
So if you're here and you think that God has, is saving you because you've got something to offer his kingdom team, you're looking at the whole situation wrong. He, he's not doing an employment application with you. He, he's not setting up a good team. He didn't save anybody because of the value they would bring to his kingdom. He only saves people because of the value he brings to their dead life. He only saves sinners who need saving. And so if what you're looking at this as is, well, I, I know God saved me because the church needs such and such. Church don't need nothing. If I died right now, Kevin would go to working on me. LG would get up to preaching. Jamie would not pray for me because that would probably not help. Um, but here's the thing. We can go on and finish church. You know how I know that? Because I've seen a fellow nearly die in a service where Big John was preaching. Kevin goes up, goes to resuscitating him while he's fighting off a homeless lady and calling the sheriff's deputy over there. And John's saying, don't look at him. There's nothing he can do for you. Look to Jesus. And I remember sitting there thinking, dang, this gospel some serious stuff. Man, if all of our pastors just up and died, y'all still have church next Sunday. But one of y'all saved folks will be preaching. Because it ain't about, God didn't bring Christ's community together because he needed us. Christ's community is all about how much we needed him. Amen. And if, if you're here at Christ's community, you, at least a little bit of your story is somebody didn't want me one time. And this is the place where we know Jesus, you laugh, but I'm serious as a heart attack. I never fully felt at home in a church until I came here, and I was 30 years old when I came in here. I, I, I don't know the year, age. It was a while. My point is, this is the place where people know that Jesus is the only way. So why play act? This, this is not a place for play act, and we ain't impressed by it. Because we... We know if you're here, why you're here. Moves on from there. You were once foolish, disobedient. It reminds me of what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the wise man listens to Jesus' words, does what he says, and it's like, the, like building a house on a foundation of a rock that when the rain comes, when the winds blow, when every storm of life comes your way, the house is not moved because its foundation is the rock. Its foundation is Jesus. But the foolish man hears the words of Christ, doesn't do them, and is like the man who builds his house on the sand, that when the waves come, the rain comes, the wind comes, the house falls because sand is no fitting foundation. We were led astray. Um, a lot of times when we talk about our, our spiritual heritage, I, I jokingly mentioned um, how, like, as Big John's been talking about, these people with this uncle who was a pastor, or this grandma who prayed, or this whatever who did whom, whatever went on. We, we talk about this heritage. Um, it's like the Pharisees who came to Jesus and they said, how dare you talk to us like this? Our great, 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 great granddaddy was Abraham. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they should have picked up the hint. But as the Pharisees were so smart, they were slow. You ever met somebody like that? They're so smart, you tell them something simple, and they're like, huh? Ah, ah. That's your Pharisees. They were so caught up in their play-acting righteousness that they couldn't tell that Jesus was preaching to them that they might be saved. He was preaching to them. Well, they want to know why he's spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And they didn't miss the 
they miss the fact that he's spending time with them too? Right? He told them, you're not like your father Abraham, you're like your father the devil, who is the father of lies. And no truth proceeds from him because the truth isn't in him. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. You get the picture that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, that says, don't live as the Gentiles, as the nations do, right? When you get this picture here, he, he says that you, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And, and you might say, that, well, that's what the world is like around us. Paul didn't write that to a lost world. He wrote that to the church at Ephesus. And that's why his very next verse was, but that is not how you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him as is written in his word. You, know, you need to understand that it's not about whatever position or identity that you say that you have. If Jesus hasn't changed you, if Jesus hasn't saved you, you ain't saved. You're not slipping around the edges. That's the reason Jesus himself described the situation, that there will be people who stand before him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, you know what all I've done for you? I was a preacher. I was a prophet. I cast out demons. Don't you know who I am? And Jesus' answer is going to be no. <laughs> I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You see, we can use the name of Jesus and that name accomplish stuff because Jesus is God. Yeah, in the book of Acts, the sons of Seba were these Jewish exorcists who had found that they could make some money because turns out people don't like to be possessed by demons. And they would roll up and they'd say for for six easy payments of 1995 we'll go in there and in the name of jesus whom paul preaches we will cast out your demon and it was working for a little while they'd roll up in there in the name of jesus whom paul preaches get out of the man and the demon's like darn jesus i'm out until they got to this one set of demons they got in there and they said in the name of jesus whom paul preaches get out of the man and the demon goes <clears throat> oh hold up we know who jesus is it, it, you're not him and we've heard of Paul. Who are y'all fellers? And they whooped the clothes off of them. Like, can you imagine being whooped on so bad that as they're grabbing at you and tearing at you, you just get to get out of it? Why? Because there was no power. There was no substance. There was no spirit. They're just name dropping. But I'm here to tell you, you can name drop Jesus all you want to here on this earth. But when you stand before him, your name is either written in the book of life or it isn't. You've either confessed him as Lord or you haven't. You either believe or you don't. And so when we look at this, look at the rescue that God has provided here. And this is important. Don't miss this. These scriptures, they're, they're on your handout. If you've got questions about this, if you're not sure about this, if you want to know that you know that you know, it's less important anything that I'm saying. Look at these verses. They're going to be on the screen, but y'all look these up. If you don't have a handout, we'll get you one at some point in time. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. You know, I mentioned earlier that we live in a place that's been known as the Bible Belt, and this is going to sound crazy, 
but um, if you've been here more than once, you know that I already know that I am crazy. Amen. One of, sorry, mustache hair. <laughs> Told you, crazy. One of the best benefits of the fall. And typically, there are no benefits to the fall other than ushering in Jesus' return sooner. The farther time goes, the closer his return is. One of the best benefits of the fall is the Bible belt has become unbuckled. That, quote, cultural Christianity is a whole lot less of a thing. Um, you can be a member of whatever club you want to and not ever darken the door of a church or say the name of Jesus. You can hate Jesus and you can get probably more popularity than if you actually worship and follow him. And that's a good thing because it gives freedom that folks ain't got to fake. I would rather somebody tell me the actual truth about how they feel about Jesus than lie to me about him. I'd rather know how you're affiliated. I'm not going to sit there and judge you and condemn you and, and whoop you down. I'm going to pray for you. I, I, it, you come up and you show me um, fruit of Satan in your life. I, I'm not going to condemn you or kick you out. You show up at Christ's community and, and you, you've got some sin going on, come to the right place. We're going to tell you about the Savior who removes sin, right? So when you look at this, you get this beautiful picture here. And what I want you to understand, again, it doesn't matter what you identify with. Billy Graham, uh, several years before his death, and man, this, you want to talk about making some church folks mad. Folks was ready to just whoop on Billy Graham. Said that he believed potentially 85% of those who claim to be Christians are lying. That's Billy Graham. It takes a lot to make somebody mad at Billy Graham. W.A. Criswell was pastor of First Baptist Dallas for, like I kid you not, like 50 years. And this is what he said toward the end. This was a famous pastor, wrote a lot of good things on the redemption of Jesus Christ, gave analogies that were foundational to the way that some people began to understand what Jesus did for his church, said that he was afraid that only 25% of his congregation were actually saved. That was before COVID. A few years ago, before the pandemic, our pastors at Christ Community, we had a stark awakening. We're not good with math, and so we didn't do a percentage. Um, some people are good at math, some people aren't. It's okay. We had people who had sat under teaching multiple times a week for multiple years who didn't know how to be saved. I want to be saved, but I don't know how. You want to know why we, re why we repeat how to be saved every week after the service? Because we don't want that to happen anymore. We don't want anybody to be able to walk in here and live like hell and, and, and have no concept of Jesus and say, well, I, I guess I could get saved. I don't know how. I'm just going to go on my own way. No, we want you to be confronted with the gospel every time that you come in here because we ain't got nothing for you. If you want to come and be impressed by people, you pick the wrong group. Jesus and the gospel, all we have. 
so we had to repent. We want people to know that it's not people are not saved because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to God's great mercy. You look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where we see that none is righteous, no, not one. Uh, uh, 13 verses later in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You move several chapters after that to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and we see that the wages of sin is... And if you're dead, you sure ain't alive. If you think that you've saved yourself, that you've done something to do it, that there was some miraculous activity that you created, look, I, I love you enough to tell you, you ain't got it in you. I ain't got it in me. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Furthermore, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, I want you to understand, um, just because I, I, I'm going to school, y'all, it don't, it don't mean nothing. I'm going to graduate and forget two things. If you're listening, William Carey, I told you I'm not good at math, and I'm exaggerating these figures, potentially. But I'm probably going to forget two-thirds of the book learning, because all I really want to do is study the Bible. I've been up front with that from the beginning. So when I use words like regeneration and renewal, I'm not trying to put some kind of fancy college word on you. Those are Bible words. Those are the words that the Holy Spirit wrote down through Paul. Those are breathed out by God. When we say regeneration here, what we mean is you've got to be made new. If you, don't, if you aren't born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Regeneration is just summing up all of John chapter 3, which culminates in that verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in shall not, shall not what? Perish. What? Perish. But have what? Everlasting. Everlasting life. If you ain't regenerated, you are still dead. If you don't believe, you don't have eternal life. That idea of renewal there is talking about what's accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people, that God's Spirit is working within you to change you, to make you new. If you don't have God's Spirit within you, the Bible says you're not saved. I don't mean some spectacular act where you show some prowess at speaking a language or doing this or that or the otherwise, I mean the fruit of the Spirit is in you because God is changing you. I said earlier it talked about this in Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take that which was dead and I'm going to move it out and I'm going to bring life in where it was. And he says that he's going to get put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules, which means if you are living like a Christian, it ain't because you're a good actor, it's because Jesus is a sufficient savior and the power of his spirit can change even you. He poured out that spirit richly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, 
that sin removed as far as the east is from the west, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Y'all, he ain't picking a team. He ain't starting an institution. He's saving wicked sinners, giving them new life, and adopting them into his family. Y'all, I told you that I, I didn't feel ever truly at home in a church until I got to Christ's community. That ain't magic of this building or magic in y'all people. That is the power of the Holy Spirit working in a group of people who didn't find a home in this world, finding a home together in Jesus Christ, knowing we ain't got it and he's got it and we're going to hang together until we see him. Isn't that a beautiful phrase there, we might become heirs. Little that there's going to be to leave them when I die, my, my kids aren't going to have to wonder whether or not they're my heirs. Um, Carrie and Xander, they know who they are in relation to me. I'm their daddy. They're my children. Th th there ain't no might become with them. They're, they're mine. Um, much to my chagrin, and definitely much to Candace's chagrin, you can see me in them and on them. They share mannerisms with me, ears with me, corny humor, or I'm, I'm told it's corny. I actually think it's quite funny. We share blood, and they have my name. So I'm asking you this morning, what do you share with God? Is his spirit in you? Are you cleansed by the blood of his son? Do you bear his name? Because if you do, you're going to share mannerisms with him as well. You're going to share love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, no, nobody's going to be name-dropping Keith Harris. When I die, there's not going to be a line of people trying to get a slice of the Keith Harris inheritance pie. Actually, a pie, it'd be hard to inherit a pie from me. Nobody's going to be name-dropping. But you need to understand being saved is more than labeling yourself with his name. It is laying down your life and picking up his. It's recognizing that the only way for a dead man or woman to have life is through the one who raised himself from the dead. It's entrusting and having faith in who Jesus is and what he has done and all that he's promised to those who receive him. And if you're looking in anything else to save you, it ain't going to work. And that's why we close every week with these verses. They're on the screen. They're on your handout. Because I don't want you to miss this. Because I don't think that just because we say this over and over that you're listening. You know how I know that? Because I forget things that I hear over and over and over. Because sometimes I ain't listening. I teach 10th grade. Sometimes folks just don't listen. But Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. And let's look at that word together. Let's read this out loud together. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today, I know you're ready to go. I've gone long. I wouldn't want to listen to me this long either. 
I don't want you to hear me on something. Whatever you got coming next, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please come talk. You ain't got to talk to me. There are people all over this room who would love nothing more than to spend however much time you need talking to you about how, what it is to be saved and how to be saved. If you're here today and you, you've got your hope in religion and it just ain't fit the bill, that's because it can't. Talk to somebody today. If you're here today and you need to repent of something that you realize your past isn't as past as you thought it was, repent. If you're here today and you need to repent of not sharing the gospel with other people, guess what? Repent. We're about to have a time of invitation. This time is yours. Nothing magic about it. But there's no reason to leave here today lost or dead in your trespasses and sins when Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given, Lord. I thank you for the work of your spirit that's done through the preaching of your word. God, I just ask that you move on hearts. God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, please move on their heart, save them, draw them unto yourself, and let them move from darkness into life, from death into life, from lostness into salvation. If there's anybody here who needs to repent, God, this, this is your work. This is your time. Move on hearts as you see fit. In your name I pray. Amen.